Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Another Selection Sunday, another day in which the Bearcats name was not called. I wait here in anticipation for what I think is a live stream, not even a broadcast, of the uh, NIT, the National Invitation Tournament, preseason, postseason, preseason bracket showdown. Uh, the Bearcats were embarrassed again against Houston, but alas, it could be worse. It could be worse. Uh, we are fans of the, of the University of Cincinnati Bearcats, and you know what? It is it is still a great day to be a fan of said Bearcats. Indeed it is, Hummer. This is not a Sunday podcast we had hoped for. We were hoping for a miracle. We were doing our rain dances. We were premeditating a potential video celebration that we could put together in the event the Bearcats played Houston and did what we would have thought earlier in the season to be unthinkable. But we continue to wait for that signature victory. We continue to wait for this team to show up when it matters most and perform and outpunch their weight class. That didn't happen, unfortunately, on Saturday against the Houston Cougars, who again dismantled the Bearcats 69-48. I obviously want to talk about that game with you. I want to talk about the big picture in terms of this season, the 2022-2023 basketball season, West Miller's second year with the Cincinnati Bearcats program. But also where we go from here. You know, this is this is obviously the NIT. We expect to be playing in that tournament. I look forward to it. I think it'll be these are nice games to get in. It's an opportunity for David DeJulius to go out on a better note than what we saw against Houston. And it's also an opportunity for people like Daniel Skillings to build on what was a very strong tournament performance by him. Um, I look forward to to seeing what the matchups are. It's more games to watch Cincinnati Bearcats basketball, which I love dearingly. But this was certainly well, this was certainly not the conclusion talking, we had all we hoped to, for. Before we get into what has occurred, a note about the future that is coming up here. What was the NIT thinking? Right, they should have known well in advance that Hummer's team, the Bearcats, would be going to this tournament. They should have known, and they should have kept it at Madison Square Garden. Instead, it's in. Orleans Arena. We were talking about this today. But I was talking about this with the Franklin. We were, we were literally watching the A10 championship game. We went down to Barclays. We're enjoying it. And we're like, oh, the NIT. That's right. Don't they normally play this at Madison Square? And we're like, no, that's right. They moved it to Orleans Arena. Why? Why? <laughs> Why? At least play a tournament that's going to have trouble drawing a crowd to begin with. And play it in the mecca of basketball in general. I don't get it. I don't get. I don't. It. I don't really know the background on why they moved it. But if I was going to make a guess, it would probably sound like cha-ching or the the gentle. It's because it's Vegas. Let's be real. It is Vegas. I say Orleans being like very deceitful, thinking that it's in New Orleans. No, it is in Las Vegas. It makes sense. Vegas is a is a good town to have a, a, a college basketball tournament in. 
It should have been kept in New York, <laughs> just for me. I mean, I, I always love seeing games at Madison Square Garden, and it's not like the N, the NIT carries much cachet, but it is the calling card of that tournament. However, it does seem kind of smart to relocate these games to Vegas, where you know college basketball fans across the country are going to begin the pilgrimage as they look to gamble their lives away Thursday to Sunday of this weekend. This is one of the most special weekends of the year when it comes to sports gambling. And, you know, offering offering these fans a few basketball games to attend in the meantime to lick their wounds, probably not the worst idea. Look, I've been to Vegas for March Madness, and the last thing on my mind going out there is the NIT. I could have cared less if the NIT happened to be in Vegas. I'm there to sit in a sports book. But that being said, sports gambling is legal in almost every state that matters. Sorry, Kentucky. You still don't matter. Uh, you don't really need the sports books anymore out in Vegas. It's more, it is an atmosphere. If you've ever been out there, you, you literally sit in a sports book and you watch the one verse 16. And you know, except in one case, the 16 had a chance. Most times they don't. And you just hear the roar of the crowd for every basket being shot because people are actually, in this case, betting on the spread. And they are rooting for the 16 to actually just cover. Not just win, right? They just want them to cover. And you just see people losing their minds over over what could potentially be an upset. Or you you actually get to that that nine versus ten. And but every basket, there's there's one person cheering no matter what, anytime a, a point is scored. It's an incredible atmosphere out there. I love it. I can't wait to get back there. Coco, grow up a little faster so that way I can, you know, leave you at home and not feel bad about it. It is you. Are, you are describing a, that special buzz that you hear when you know. Fast forward to this weekend when Northern Kentucky is trailing Houston by eleven at halftime, and there's that sort of Wait, there's that loud only eleven. That's what I'm saying. There's that loud murmur across the room. That's it's not. Is NKU going to pull the upset? It's no. Is NKU going to cover? Is this going to happen? And everyone starts building on each other, and and every shot that happens in the second half of that game is going to be um, pins and needles for everybody who has been overzealous and put the, put the house on Northern Kentucky, Kentucky's ability to cover a what 31.5 spread. What's the spread in the, in the Houston Northern Kentucky game? How quickly can I we don't know, that? but I'm going to, I'm going to call this now. Houston is going to be only the, the second time in NCAA tournament history. They will be the second one seed to go down. And here's why, because it'd be the ultimate fuck you to Cincinnati because the transient properties here would be that Northern Kentucky has already beat Cincinnati, right? They're already better than us. Uh, we've lost to Houston three times this season, the last time in particular by 30 and 20, 21, 21. At one points. point, the deficit was like 30. It was embarrassing. So then Northern Kentucky just add to him like, not only are we better than you, we're like 30 points better than you. <laughs> transient <laughs> properties here. Like it's just, yeah. it'd be just transitive another... transitive factory transitive. properties don't matter at all when when we've played both teams like you said between in that matchup we played these teams four times combined and lost yeah, but every if, Northern, if game. Northern Kentucky pulls it off it's just another fuck you to Cincinnati because we couldn't even the one time we sniffed it we blew it you're right about that actually it would be a, a huge fuck you to us um or really it would be a fuck you to the people who think that just because you're outmanned you can never pull an upset. You can never show up in the biggest games and actually knock the team off. I'm putting $20 off the bat. I'm prepaying 
the curse words this pod. I'm sorry, guys. I'm not going to tally it. We're we're we're, we're pre putting the UCATS donation club thing right here. I'm I'm pre pre filling it with twenty bucks. Yeah, look, look, guys. We like Hummer said at the beginning. We just went through another selection Sunday where I didn't even turn it on. Honestly, the four, the four in a row. It's three in a row technically, because technically. because one tournament was was canceled, right? But it's it, been it four was, years. It's been it's five four years. years. Four seasons. Since we've actually seen it. Four seasons. Four seasons. Four seasons. Our last tournament game was against Iowa, a game that I think people overreacted to in terms of our loss, and it was basically it, it was an overreaction because of what we experienced the year before in 2018 against Nevada. People were lashing out. It was a delayed response to what we had experienced the year before and an overreaction to a really strong and solid Iowa team. Um, but alas, here we are, 2023. We've got to wait at least another year to potentially hear our names called in the on selection Sunday. And as we'll get into later in the podcast, it's an uphill battle. This was a season that featured a very easy schedule in a very easy conference with enough opportunities on the schedule to pull off some big wins, build up a, a a resume of sorts that could get you in the tournament. And instead Bearcats went all season, essentially without a, without a, a win that you could really hang your hat on. So let's, let's talk a bit about this game Hummer. The, the, the loss to Houston 69 48. And let's also acknowledge the fact that this came a day after the Bearcats beat temple by 30 points. And that's not nothing. You know, Temple's a team that has historically given the Bearcats a lot of trouble. They tend to play the Bearcats very close. This game was the opposite. After falling down 16-6 in the first half, the Bearcats completely ran Temple off the court, ended up winning that game 84 to 54, and it was it was a beautiful experience. We were we were hot, we were defending well, the team looked locked in, they believed. They looked like the kind of team that was like, "Hey, we're we're out we're outside looking in on the tournament, but who the hell knows? You know, we go on a run, we get to the AAC championship game, and maybe just maybe we play our way into the tournament. That's the vibe of Temple on a Friday. You fast forward 24 hours or less than 24 hours, and and it was a completely different picture against Houston. The team from the start looked completely outmatched. They were thrown off their game. Houston was dictating every single element of what happened on the basketball court, be it turning the Bearcats over, who I think had seven turnovers in the first 12 minutes or so of the game. Uh, They finished with the Bearcats only finished with nine turnovers, which goes to show that it was just completely out of hand early in the game. I was was about to say, I was like, let's, let's take this score real quick. Like I'm going to interrupt you. Let's, let's wind it back. The Cougars only scored 69 points. Right to go to go back into the season and find a score where we held an opponent under seventy points, we go all the way back to Northern Kentucky. From a defensive perspective, you would say we're going to score. This was a this was a good effort. On the flip side of the coin, the last time the Bearcats failed to score fifty, was like I don't think it happened all season. This is the only time we literally didn't break fifty. The first time all season, um, it, it was, it basically it's the way I'm looking at this is it was a, it wasn't a defensive effort. It was an offensive breakdown. And it's like the same thing we've seen all season, which is we come up against a good team. We, we choke on our aspirations and we play solo hero ball, jack up threes. Don't 
early in the shot clock and don't run the offense. I don't know how else to put it. That's that's honestly, I think that's a fair descriptor. This team at, at the highest stakes and when the most pressure is there. So whether it's closing a game against, you know, subpar competition or playing a game against a team like Houston or a team like Arizona or a team like, you know, even Ohio State earlier in the season, a team with any sort of name recognition, there just seems to be an element of panic that this team brings to the table. And it it, it demonstrates itself in terms of the shot selection. The Bearcats, I know at least 11 of their 14 first shots were, were three-pointers. Not all of them would have looked, you know, terrible. Some of them we could have certainly made more than we did. They ended up making six of 28 from the field. Over 50% of their shots were three-pointers, which as we've noted plenty of times down the stretch of the season, that is not the recipe for winning against really good competition. Um, I guess you're playing a high-variance style of basketball. So in theory, if we had gotten hot, maybe it looks a little different. But these were these were shots that Houston was willing to give up. We were never penetrating the defense. We were never attack, putting any sort of pressure on the Houston defense. We were rotating the ball around the perimeter and settling for desperation heaves again and again and again in the first half. And that's why you saw the Bearcats fall down 38-23 at halftime. And and I, I do want to make the note, Hummer, we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about the Temple game. And, and the reason is that's a, how often, like how much are we learning from these games against Temple, ECU, South Florida, you know, Tulsa? You don't learn that much by beating middling AAC teams. We've seen that all season. We can beat those teams. We can look good against those teams. The going that the team style can even look improved. We can we can attack the rim. We can run screen and we roll. We can use it as a litigator. Hundred well, percent though. We it's can been it, that basically. It, it's super simple. Temple's not a good team. We showed up against them. We played defense and we played our offense. We got the ball inside. We worked it inside to our our best player on the court, Victor Locken. And we let him, we let him be an animal skillings. Didn't take a three early in the shot clock. He went and dribbled and penetrated and did amazing work underneath the hoop. We saw guys work the ball inside. We don't, we, it's like, we say we can't do it against them. It's like, Oh, well, they're too good. You're not gonna be able to do that skilling. Don't, don't dribble the ball inside. Go down there and get your, get get blocked. Go get bodied. I mentioned the fact that the Bearcats went, what, 6 of 28 from 3 against Houston. The Bearcats went 11 of 28 against Temple, except the Bearcats took 72 shots against Temple, and they took 51 against Houston. So the shot distribution looked a lot more favorable. And you see Victor Locken getting five attempts. You see our guard shooting a high percentage. Um, Skillings, you mentioned him. He is the, the calling card in that Temple game where his offensive rebounding was outstanding. He's getting lay-ins off of those offensive rebounds. He's being aggressive, going to the hoop, finishing around the rim. Everything I saw from Skillings against Temple was exceptional, and it was showing you more than flashes of the kind of player that can really grow into something special here at Cincinnati. And it's been it's been inconsistent at times this season for Skillings, and there's definitely been a lot of areas for growth. And again, we'll note it, he's been playing basketball since he was in ninth grade, apparently. But in terms of him putting it together, that's exactly what you want to see from your freshman down the stretch of a basketball season. You want to say he's gotten better. He looks more comfortable out there and put in an off season of body work, put in an off season of handle work, of off the dribble work, of just basic basketball IQ work. And this is a guy who can become a big time contributor for the Bearcats sooner than later. That's what we did learn against Temple for Daniel Skillings Jr., 
against Houston, unfortunately, it was just another case of the Bearcats looking unprepared, looking overwhelmed, and not really having any answers against, admittedly, the number one team in the country. Like this is this is one of the best teams in the country. But as we learned against Memphis in the American Athletic Championship game, Houston is not an unbeatable team, especially when Marcus Sasser's not playing, and especially when they continue to be a bit labored offensively and not have a lot of you know potency there. That's why they only put up 69 points against the Bearcats. But offensively, the Bearcats had no answers. This was you know this was they, they were dismantled and depanced by Houston. Do you know who's who Skilling's like not necessarily in terms of his role? but who he's reminding me of in terms of, I think, the minute distribution we're going to see. He's reminding me of Mike Adams-Woods. He's a freshman. Mike Adams-Woods as a freshman ended up with a big role. He was kind of the the rock with a steady hand of the ball. It didn't turn it over a lot, but he wasn't there presently offensively a lot of the games. As as he's grown as a Bearcat, he's, he's still been that kind of rock. Where I think Skillings, he's earned a lot of minutes as a freshman. I think we're going to see that going forward. I think he's going to be a major part of this offense and whatever that I said, the roles are different, but I'm seeing in terms of being that fresh and being trusted to make decisions with the ball early on in his career. I think it's going to be good. It's going to be better for him long, long term. Mike Adams Woods has been for the most part, not this game. <laughs> I don't want to look at the box score for this one, four turnovers, but he's been a steady presence for the Bearcats. And he's one of these guys kind of underrated in terms, I think the hearts of us Bearcat fans. You know, where you know that necessarily deserve right off the bat a, a Wikipedia page. Um, but he's close to it, right? He's been here and he's just been a, a rock for the offense. He's been he's been consistent through his whole career here. Yeah, but if you're looking at Daniel Skillings and how we project him out, the last comparison you'd want to make is Mike Adams Woods because Mike Adams Woods is a guy who My comparison is up. only about the minutes. It's the minutes in that he's gonna be he's gonna be a valuable contributor the roles are going to be different. We're expecting different from Skillings. Yeah. I'm, I'm just countering you and saying that Mike Adams Woods played a lot from the get-go played more than Daniel Skillings, frankly was starting as a freshman. And we didn't have the athletic profile of a guy who could scale and hindsight's 2020, but Mike Adams Woods didn't take major steps forward in terms of development. He never had the ability of finishing around the rim. Daniel Skillings can already finish around the rim. Mike Adams Woods was a better shooter from three early on in his career. Daniel Skillings has shown a much improved prowess from shooting from three, particularly when it's not off the dribble and particularly when he's catching in rhythm with two feet, two feet set. So in how I look at it, the, the growth curve that we expect from Daniel Skillings should be significantly different and significantly more potent than we saw from Mike Adams Woods. We actually we're expecting this guy to become like a go-to type scorer for the Bearcats and certainly someone with the athletic profile that should be able to become a good defender, if not great. He's off to a really rocky start there. He looked really lost defensively this season, but the athletically there's a profile there of someone who could be effective. So I was trying to get people out of there, like to, to get you to pull that information out of you is that skilling junior is good. <laughs> I, I made the, I made the, I made the off the mark comparison folks. So Coomer would explain why it's not the right comparison. That's all. That's no, I it's, I think, I think the comparison's fair still. I think it's basically saying like, look, he is going to be a contributor. He's going to, he's done it from a freshman year. The difference here is we need to see out of skillings that next leap. If he doesn't have it, it's going to be disappointing. It's going to be a long year next year. Because he is going to be a guy that we look to as not just a contributor, a major contributor to next year's squad. 
if we want hope, if we want to hope of having more than three wins, and, in and, term, exactly. In we're play. going. We're yeah. We're there's going to be a time where we're going to transition this conversation to next year and what the roster might look like, and what we think the roster might need going forward. But no matter. Spoiler alert, right. Daniel Skilling's development is an important aspect of what the Bearcats have what happens for the Bearcats in 23-24. Now who's most disappointing? Are we are we allowed to go there yet? Who's been the most disappointing from a development I, standpoint? I want to put year? a I want to put a bow first on Houston specifically. We'll get into big picture, but just I just don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I hear you, but let's but I want I want to make That's sure fair. we can talk about it. we can talk we, we have to we have to lay out how emphatic this victory was for Houston because we had seen the Bearcats be more competitive against Houston as the season wore on. You know, they seven went from, minutes and ten minutes. Seven, sorry, seven points, ten minutes. Do I need to say anything more? Seven points in like ten minutes. They lost seventy-two fifty-nine at home against Houston, where the game was it ballooned to a twenty-point lead. Bearcats cut it to a ten-point lead. That was spun as you know, kind of like a late rally by the Bearcats. Never really that close. Never really in jeopardy. The game against Houston at Houston was a much different story. They ended up losing 75-69 and realized this was at Houston. Bearcats were leading 43-36 at halftime, but got outscored 39-26 in that second half and honestly got locked down in a very similar fashion down the stretch of that game to what we saw in the in the tournament. But that is that's to point back to, hey, we're seeing progressive improvement against the best team in the conference. They so happen to be ranked number one in the country now. Yeah, they te- are one of the best, best teams team in the country. <laughs> yeah, they're technically the best team in the country. This game, though, they they had no answers. And and to kind of just some summarize what it looked like in this game, the Bearcats shot twenty five point five percent from the field, thirteen of fifty one, thirteen field goals made in this game against Houston. David DeJulius one of ten from the field, zero of six from three. Landers Nolly three of thirteen from the field. Three of nine from three. Victor Locken, one of four from the field, three turnovers. Really, really ineffective game for for my favorite, Victor Locken. It was it was a rough go for him. Mike Adams Woods, two of six. Jeremiah Davenport, one of six. Anybody who was playing significant minutes for the Bearcats was highly ineffective in this game and looked completely overmatched. There's really nothing I mean, to point to. There's just nothing to point you, to in this game. I know, I, I know you're 30, right. We don't need to talk about it at length because there's not anything to point to. 33% isn't that great from three. It's barely above the line of what's acceptable. Yeah. Nolly at least hit that. No one else came close. Right. I, right. I mean, so basically I see DeJulius was not on his game. Davenport was not on his game. When I see that we're going six for 28, when we're taking 28 threes, what I'm seeing just from the stat is that we're taking probably a lot of early shot clock threes. We're not passing the ball. We're not looking for the opportunity to drive into the lane, to collapse the defense, to get the wide open look. We're, we're, we're not taking the time to get the ball in the Vic and let him work the post. We're, we're not doing those things. And that's, I think just a symptom of, we see this every time, time again, we play good squads. We collapse, the offense just falls apart and it's hero ball. And that's where I'm looking for next year to see market improvement is I want to see no hero ball. I want to see that completely written out of the script that guys, we don't need the Landers Nolly game. We don't need the clue exit Bay game. We need the Bearcats game. We need the team game. That's how this team wins is by having a team performance. No one player needs to actually stick out. We need 
every player to contribute. I think you made a really good point there, Hummer. Six out of six shots for Jeremiah Davenport were threes. 100% of his shots were threes. Daniel Skillings, four out of his seven shots were threes. Landers Nolly, nine out of 13 shots were threes. DeJulia, six out of 10 shots were threes. Adams Woods, three out of six shots were threes. This points to a team that just, when the going got tough, the aggression waned. They didn't have a way of being aggressive. They didn't feel confident breaking down a Houston defense that you have to break down. You have to get these guys rotating. You have to collapse them so that the kickout threes are more open and are more in rhythm. But when you see these, these, the shot distribution, it's a team that just settled. They took the path of least resistance again against a good team. And it resulted in a, in a mismatch. It resulted in an ass kicking and going forward. This is going to be the level of competition. This is, this is the benchmark in the big 12. And so it is on Wes Miller to figure out how do I get these guys to play better basketball against good teams? Cause we found ways to do it. We found ways to get do it in central Florida temple. How do we do it against good teams? That is one of the bigger pressing issues going into next season. This is, this is my hot take. Houston doesn't have three losses in the big 12 guys. They have five, they have six, right? They're still a very good team. They're top in the country. They're top 10, top 15. They're playing in our conference. They've lost three games all year. Guys, this is the middle of the road of Big 12 basketball is what we just faced in Houston. And my humble, arrogant, stupid opinion is that this is this is just this isn't even the best of what we're going to see next year. We, I mean, we it's, be cl- it's close to the best. Like these guys are really good. There are one scene in the I tournament. know there are one scene in the tournament, but I, I don't know. I'm being maybe biased here because I know our conference and how terrible it is, and that Houston got 17 of those dubs on that 31 win from playing our conference. We have 21 wins playing in our conference. If we were playing in the Big 12 this year, I'll be honest with the Bearcats. We are not 11 and seven in conference play. We are three in like 17. We are, we're winning three games maybe in the big 12 this year. We don't play like a solid squad. We don't play as a team. Most of the time we barely beat sometimes the bottom of the barrel in our own terrible conference that the big 12, I didn't see the actual tally of how many they actually had to make the tournament, but I don't know if they broke the record or not. But the fact that half the team, probably half the conference made the tournament, guys, it's going to be rough unless we have major improvement. That's a thought experiment that Mitch from Canada wanted to do with us, and maybe we can still do it later in the year. It was was to basically take this year's version of the Bearcats and take them through a Big 12 schedule. Win-loss, win-loss, win-loss. See what we win, what we lose. I mean, we we really don't have to do the thought experiments. That needs to be a feature in Kempom. (laughs) The what if in Kempom. If you were in a different conference, what would your record have been? It, it kind of actually would be helpful and, and useful to sort of look at things that way. All, all is not lost, Hummer. It's not. Um, it's not. It, it's not. It truly is not. The Bearcats finished the season 21 and 12, which is a win improvement year over year in terms of where they were last season. We can also think back last year and remember it was truly a disastrous ending to the season. And we were very critical of the ending. And I think a lot of people were still in the, in the place of we're not comfortable criticizing Wes Miller at all. It's his first year and any criticism would be completely unfair. We looked at it a little more objectively and said, you know, 
sure, it is your first year, but we're playing in the American Athletic Conference and your talent does stack up against who we're playing and you close the season losing five in a row. It was really bad. It was something that was that was worth noting, worth addressing, and as a, as a criteria for how we measured this team this season, we needed to see them not get markedly worse as the season went along, which is what happened during West Miller's first season. This year, that did not happen. I would say we have legitimately seen improvements in this team as the season has gone along. I would just say, you say that- what, How did you just phrase it before? We need to see market improvement, market what is it? It's uh market market improvement as the season progressed. That's what we were looking for. And I think we did see, I, I don't think we saw it as early as you would have liked toward the end of the season, post two lane collapse. You saw this team make legitimate steps forward in terms of how they played and how they executed in games. I, I, well, I'll, I'll pick it. I'll give them a little more credit than saying post two lane. I think we saw glimpses of it prior to Tulane where we saw all of a sudden a different style of basketball. We started seeing the, the, the ball movement. We started seeing them penetrating, but then we'd go again and play the likes of Memphis. Right? For instance, the three game winning, we, we go to Wichita, right? We, we take the dub there because we, we own Kosh arena. That's that's forever ours in our heart. We Gosh. own it. Sharina is so disrespectful. Coke. Yeah. I'll be, I'll be disrespectful. I don't care here. Um, we go and we lose to Houston like we like we sh- we knew we would, but then we what we run off three against inferior opponents SMU. Yeah, giving some serious disrespect to SMU. You guys suck. So glad we never have to play you ever again. South Florida um, and East Carolina. During that run, we did see at times a style where we're trying to penetrate. We're not playing as much hero ball. Where the offense kind of looks like it's going somewhere. But then we play the likes of a team which probably, in my opinion, doesn't have as much – has as much, maybe not more, talent than us as Memphis. I think we, we should stack up well against Memphis, and we get, we got two L's from them. Looked not that great. Go against Houston, the collapse, right? And then so, – I think so my point is I think we did see signs early. It just wasn't consistent. And that was kind Bingo. of the issue is we weren't seeing consistency from this team all year. We saw higher levels of basketball this season than we saw in year one. Some of that is yeah. attributable, to the, attributable to the fact that Landers Nolly joined the team. It's attributable, attributable to the fact that Victor Lockin took a massive step forward. And that is also something worth pointing to when you look at West Miller's successes and failures this season. Victor Lockin's improvement is something to point to. But what what you hit the nail on the head, huh? We had no consistency this year. And so you could go from one game to another, one half to another, where it's Jekyll and Hyde. They're locking down Central Florida in the first half, and then they're getting lit up in the second half and barely hanging on at home against a flailing Central Florida team. That that lack of consistency is why you didn't have any signature wins this season. Zero. Zero signature wins this season. The best wins were two times against Central Florida, who was Ken Palm 61 last time I updated our CatSkellerSocial.club website. Tulane, we beat them. They were a 99 in Kempom. Wichita State, 104 in Kempom. And then we beat Temple twice, who last I checked was around 111 in Kempom. Probably worse now that they got beat down by 30 by the Bearcats. Not Nothing nothing to hang your hat on there. But there were worst losses. Like there were losses that will kill you in terms of building a tournament resume in future seasons. We lost to Northern Kentucky, who is a 16 seed in the tournament now. 
and they finished, they were around 164 in Kempom. East Carolina choked away 16-point lead in the second half. They finished 201st, roughly, in Kempom. At Tulane was a meltdown. Um, I threw that in there because of how bad of a meltdown it was. And then a very comparable team from a Ken Palm standpoint, Ohio State, who was hovering around that 60 mark, we got beat by 28 points by them on a neutral court. This team did They, they have, went through a horrible stretch of basketball after that, too. They lost quite a few games after beating us. Atrocious. So to me, one of the bigger critiques of this season is the lack of consistency and the flubs against really, really inferior competition. So that is something that we have to clean up. You can't have those types of losses on your resume when you're trying to make the tournament. Um, so there, that's why it's so tough to get overly zealous about what we saw this season. The highs were higher. There was improvement in terms of, you know, what the very best of the Bearcats looked like this season, but it wasn't able to be captured on a very consistent basis, which is why we had plenty of letdowns to point to. All right. Well, let's let's turn the negative into a positive, right? Because I'm not going to lie, where I'm at right now, the season is not by any means a success, right? I'm not, I'm not stamping this season as a success. I'm not, I'm stamping it as a failure. Frankly, we didn't make the tournament. We didn't have a signature win. There's, there is a little. We, we didn't even make the bubble. On. We didn't even make the bubble. Like yeah, we were we not even, even in the. We weren't even being talked about. I, I agree. That's you're not calling this a success, folks. But the one thing that I am excited about is that we did see Wes Miller, I think, turn the corner in what he's trying to accomplish here with setting the tone for culture, establish what we need to do on offense. And we have played some pretty decent defensive games at times down the stretch here. Decent, I'm not saying elite, decent. I think they had, we're they had a stretch a from early January to early February of really good defense. They had a good I think stretch. we're seeing a culture. I think we're starting to see an identity form next year. It needs to solidify because if it, if it all starts to hit with the recruits we have coming in, if we get some tr good transfer portals, we can see a competitive team in the big 12 next year. Okay. Competitive. There, I'm not there's... saying like, I'm not saying we're going to win the conference. I'm not saying like, I'm saying competitive. There's a lot 500 in tournament play, conference play, I guess. That's my Com definition of competitive. Competitive. Set the bar real low. Real Whatever, low. However you're defining competitive <laughs> is doing a lot of work there. Because to me, there are way too many unknowns about next year's roster to know whether or not we have a chance of being competitive or what we would even set the expectation at. I would say that your assessment, if you're going to if you're going to deem the, the season a success or a failure, this falls much more in the failure block than it does success. But that doesn't mean there weren't micro successes within the season. I think what you point to is sort of Wes Miller finding his footing a bit did happen in the second half of the season. It honestly seemed to start happening after Kenyon Martin walked into the locker room of Fifth Third Arena at halftime of, his, of an embarrassing performance against Xavier and laid into the team. Unapologetically, this is embarrassing. This is not Bearcat basketball. You should be ashamed of yourselves is essentially the tone of that meeting by, by all accounts. And from that moment forward, it felt like we did see Wes Miller coaching these guys harder and having more accountability to what they were doing on the court and realizing that, no, that level of defense, Daniel Skillings, is not going to cut it. That shot selection in transition is not going to cut it. And Victor Locken, 
you can't you can't commit these dumb fouls. You have to be on the court. You are too important for this team. And Jeremiah Davenport, your minutes are not a guarantee, and you are not contributing to winning enough to have the role that you've had historically on this team. So I think those are the things. That's something I would point to as a success where it's Wes Miller growing into the role, getting more confident in the role and saying, I can't just be Mr. Nice Guy. I can't be 100% player empowerment. Everybody loves playing for me because there's no no accountability. No, there has to be accountability. We have to We have to have rules. We have to have a style of play that we adhere to in order to start winning games that we shouldn't win or winning games, you know, in a, in a way that, allows us to actually pursue a tournament appearance again. Uh, all right. I'm trying to find this. This is, this is why mainstream media sucks. You ready? You, I'm trying to find the NIT selection started. I guess show started at 10 PM. They have to give, you know, everybody four hours to digest what happened in the NCAA tournament before the other fans vomit that you've been, uh, summoned to basketball hell. Uh, and I'm seeing here, I got to thank the Discord, the Cascaler Social Club Discord for being the most up-to-date source of news on NIT happenings here. Uh, the University of Dayton, in all of their prowess uh, and out of concern for the overall health of their players, has decided to uh, basically deny to not accept any bids to uh, any postseason action this year. Congratulations, Dayton. You suck. Congratulations. <laughs> um, as as the councilman points out here, that's the John Brandon effect. Uh, guys, I saw John Brandon, and I saw him as a broken man. So the way the coaches lined up, and I'll post a photo of this, he's not on the front line of coaches, baby. He's on the back line. So like when we were trying to point him out to a friend at us at the game today, not only did we have to say, no, he's behind the – you see the ref – Okay, do you see the coach behind the ref? Oh, yeah, the one that just stood. Now, do you see the guy behind the guy who just stood? That was John Brandon. <laughs> Three guys deep at one point. Couldn't see where he was at. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> the guy the guy is a back row coach. Uh, but, yeah, um, I'm curious who, who we're going to play. And I'm just – I'm sitting here trying to find this out through Google search and it's like, they don't do this stuff live. Like, on well, let Google. me help you out. Let me help. Let me help you out here. Hummer. The Bearcats are going to actually have a home game on Wednesday night, Ooh, which will be going? the, it'll be March 15th, 9 PM hosting mm-hmm. Virginia tech. We are a four seed in the NIT this season. Is that a chance for a signature win against Virginia tech? Can you have a signature win in the NIT? I don't think you can. I think the only signature win you could have in the NIT is a championship in the NIT. How funny would it be? God, this would be just, this would be poetic. Uh, Mark Twain couldn't write a story finer than this. Xavier wins the NIT last year. It stays in Cincinnati. The University of Cincinnati this year. You Virginia, will find the championship banner in the restrooms. <laughs> Virginia Tech was the 11 seed in the ACC this season. I have to be honest, I don't know a ton about Virginia Tech's team this season. They were 19 and 14 in the regular season. They were 8 and 12 in the ACC and 
that's about it. I mean, that's sort of like the high level record profile of a Virginia tech team that, that the Bearcats will be facing here in the first round of the NIT. If you're going to play in the thing, if you're going to play in the NIT, you sure as hell try and win some games. You don't want to go out in the first round of the NIT, you know, because that's typically a side of a team that doesn't really want to be there. You want to compete. You want to see this team get after it. You want to see them channel their inner, you know, just picture this being Temple. Picture your opponent, Virginia Tech is Temple. The colors are pretty similar. Hey, this is just a middling American athletic team. No problem here. We can beat this kind of team. That's what I want to see when they play Virginia Tech on, on Wednesday. Oh, man. You know what? I'm not excited, but you know what? Screw it. Uh, at least I get more Bearcat basketball in my life for a couple of weeks. It's not what I want to see, but I'm here for it. I hope it's a couple of weeks. We get a home game out of it. So everybody should at least enjoy being able to play at Fifth Third Arena. Get one more, get one more stroke in there. Go have some fun, guys. Bring home a winner. Show these Virginia Tech fucks that uh, the Sugar Bowl or the Orange Bowl didn't really matter. I really loved Virginia Tech fans when we played them in the Orange Bowl. They were really cool people. I remember drinking wild they were turkey so nice. with them. They were awesome. Great fan base. Shout out to Virginia. You no, know, I Tech. wish, I wish, I wish I could have gotten to that game. <laughs> I wish you could have too. I went all the way to Miami. Did not get to go to the game. The Orange not Bowl. My own fault. What, what year was that? Two thousand eight ish. Yeah, I'm not going to go and litigate the year here. I think that might have been 2008. You know, someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but to me, that was the year that Hummer realized she wasn't the one. That's how you learn she wasn't the one. No, no, (laughs) I should I should have realized. (laughs) I stayed with her way too long after that. Side the point. Anyway, moving on. So we talk about one positive we can hang our hat on this season, which is sort of West Miller's style of coaching, the accountability that he started holding his team to later in the season. What else would you view as a positive this season? A a something you could point to as saying this was good for the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball program. The the, the big positive here is I think with a ninety nine point nine percent confidence we can say Victor Lockett is returning as a Bearcat. Jesus, don't jinx it. I I feel less I confident than ever in that right now. I think he's returning to the Bearcats because his position here is solidified in terms of minutes, playing time, and the way the offense needs to run through him. Okay. And with him taking the step that he did, that is, in my mind, massive. Because he is developing. He's not there yet, but he's developing into what I view as one of the best big men in college basketball. And I'm going to call some people out. Stop looking at the – I'm not going to call you out by name, but stop looking at the official GoBearCats.com and it's calling him a forward, all right? We play him as a fucking center. We play him as the five. That's it's what not, he is. It's not so much that we – it doesn't – look. It doesn't we, matter. We it's modern basketball. In the, in the five doesn't even exist. It, what matters is we saw Victor Lockin as a forward playing alongside Abdul Ado and Hayden Caval. And what we saw was that it was super unnatural for him because a, he doesn't have any sort of range on his shot at this point, but he's also more talented than those guys when it comes to throwing the ball inside. So you want to give Victor Locken as much room, as much space as possible to let him cook and operate inside the paint and playing the five allows him to do that. I'm not ready to go so far as to say that, the positive is Victor Victor Locker returning because a it hasn't happened like we actually need to see that occur. I'm assuming we know, it will. Come on. 
I hope it will. We can't but, say a tenant about anybody, but with him, I'm I, that's the guy I'm confident returning. Hummer, I've heard it from multiple people who are who are body language experts, quote unquote, who are basically saying the guy looks disengaged and looks, you know, uh, he looks different than he did early in the season. It made me scared. I'm concerned. He's my number one boy. This scares me. Look, I don't want to say hurt. that about you. Can say that about the whole team at the last game. The body language, the me type of ball, the the Nanders Lottenolly deuces, uh, Twitter. Like, look, all right, I'm not. We're not reading the tea leaves here of a deuces uh, before their first, you know, turn before the tournament even starts here. Like, look, Victor Lockin has a spot, has a role that is defined on this team. I think when it comes to these hard conversations that are happening, probably tomorrow, right? Monday morning or after after the NIT, they'll probably wait till after the NIT when they're talking to these players. And some of these hard conversations are going to be, here's your up, here's where I see you in the bear in, in as a your role on this team in the coming in the coming months. If you're happy with that, we are we want to have you back. If you're not happy with it, I think it would be better for you to enter your name to the transfer portal and find a school where you can find the role that you think that you want to pursue. I don't think Victor Locken is going to have that conversation go negative. I think he's going to have minutes on this team that are what he wants. I think they're going to have a role for him that's going to be suitable to his skill set. I think we want him back in a strong, positive, meaningful way. Victor Lockin is the best player on this basketball team. He's the best player. He's the most important player. He is the the yes. most important player for West Miller to retain heading into his yes. first season as the Big 12 head coach of the Cincinnati Bearcats. He needs to be on the team. And I know people were in a tizzy about what was happening against Houston, but I can assure you this was a team dismantling. Victor Lockin was one piece of that team dismantling. It was not only him. No and one he played was well. By far the least of our problems. When you have a player like Victor Lockin, who is the best and most important defender on this team, where he can actually protect the rim, he's learned how to do it without fouling. He's had games of seven blocks. He's had games of eight blocks. He is an enforcer inside in terms of being able to contest shots at the rim and being a help defender. We've also seen him to varying degrees of success being someone who can finish around the rim successfully. Is he super refined and super polished? I would say no. But is he a guy who's just finishing his sophomore season with at least two more years of eligibility remaining? Yes, he is. There's a lot of room for growth there. He averaged 12 points, seven rebounds, over a block a game, over a steal a game. It's a no-brainer. This is the most important guy to get back for next season. And if... Honestly, I can't even imagine a world where he doesn't come back. So I'm just going to leave it there. That's why I say it's positive. That's why it's the positive for me. He is the building block for this team. It's the positive because he took such a massive leap. Correct. And I know it's not always this case, but I am expecting him to once again take a leap into his junior year. Get some more meat on the bone. He's discovered what he can do with his size. Now throw some more meat on the bone, hit the monster factory, work on your down, your low post moves, be able to be more efficient. And I think if we see that, I think we're going to have a monster in our hands. We're going to have another problem. You've seen seen guys 
on Houston who who are these front court players who end up playing their final years as 22, 23, 24 year olds. Victor Locken would be that age in his junior and senior season. Let this guy grow into that man's body. He's going to get more strength. He's going to work with Mike Rayfeld and get stronger and stronger. And he's going to be a guy who can be effective in the post. You cannot, if if you're someone who thinks we need to recruit over the top of Victor Locken, you're out of your fucking mind. Honestly, like this is, this guy was a slam dunk. You're this rolling season. the dice. If you're, if you're going to recruit over top of him, you're rolling the dice because we know what we have with this, what we have with Victor, which is a good basketball player. Right. I think I'm building Why do we a straw man. Chance? I think yeah. I'm building a straw man. I don't, I don't even think that exists. I'm just saying, I agree with you. He is from a player development standpoint, the biggest story from this season. He was a huge success story for the Bearcats. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm not going to give you the chance to rebuttal on your biggest one yet. I'm just going to go into to my next one, which is once again, player development. We saw it this year. We didn't see it the first year under Wes Miller. We, we saw guys almost regress as opposed to, to moving forward. And this year we saw more than just Victor Locken grow and thrive in, in new roles. We saw, we saw that. And so to me, that is honestly the biggest thing going to the next season we do have Dan Skillings Jr. on this roster. I think he's going to have to play a bigger role and he's going to have to mature in a big way, but he is going to be probably one of the centerpieces of the Bearcats if we're going to be successful next year. Agreed. Daniel Skillings Jr., all in all, I would give him a positive rating coming out of the season based on the big performances we saw against Temple, based on his really awesome nose for the ball on offensive rebounds for the fact that he displayed an ability to hit an open three down the stretch. He's imperfect. There's a lot of development there still to go. He's not someone who showed a ton of ability in terms of going off the dribble. He didn't show a ton of ability in terms of court vision, but there's, there's tools there. There's something to work with. There's a, it's, it's a ball of clay and it's to be determined how, how magnificent the sculpture ends up being. But it certainly could be beautiful. It could be a masterpiece, but there's a lot of work left to do. Um, Daniels, I'm not even ruling out Josh Reed. People just need to remember, freshmen, it's not uncommon for freshmen to come in and not be ready to play day one. And it doesn't mean you write off their careers. It doesn't mean you kick them to the curb and say, we need to find something better. No, these freshmen, you give them time to develop. Trey Scott was a red shirt freshman. Trey Scott did not play his freshman season. You're saying Trey it wrong. Scott, Trey Scott, 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 Scott. Keith Williams certainly required development. Like the, not everybody comes in like Jaron Cumberland ready to knock down huge threes and be a big time player from day one. So those two guys and, and their development will obviously be vital to the team's success long-term. And I think it's a, it's a very good point there with Josh Reed. We didn't just see, we didn't really, honestly, we didn't even see enough of him to give him a fair evaluation. And like you said, it could just be he's not ready. Not ready yeah, for this. Level I, I just saw a guy who fair. physically, yeah, physically wasn't really ready. Like couldn't defend at this level, has a knack for rebounding. Again, like Skillings, pretty solid rebounder for his size. I would say shows a certain feel offensively, maybe even more so than Skillings. But I don't think he was able to put it all together. The game looked a little fast for him. And you hope that in year two, it looks a lot different. That's where the next kind of point comes into play. And this is the biggest question mark is that we have a lot of hype. 
there's been a lot of hype around the recruiting class, especially with the fact that we were in the running for Collier. There is a chance that we have a guy named Flory maybe reclassifying. I don't know if that's this year or next year. It doesn't really matter. But we have, more importantly, the two actual commits in Ravon and Jizzle. And the issue is we don't know, are they going to be ready, freshmen? What is the impact they're going to be able to make? I keep seeing a lot of people want to throw out like, oh, well, are they going to be one and done or two and done? Guys, these are probably the three to four-year players. These are the actual building blocks of the program. And maybe maybe we get lucky, and one of them turns out to be Atari Eason. But if there's one thing, and I, I'm going to just give you some props on this. You did the interview when we were recruit, when we recruited Tari and you did it with, uh, I forget his name, but you did Nars Martinez, Nars Martinez from Washington. And he basically flat out said that the guy was NBA talent. If I, I if I recall correctly, I, he was I like had this goosebumps. Guy's play in the NBA. I had goosebumps listening to Nars Martinez describe Tari Eason. It was, he spoke about Tari in a different way than I've heard anyone else speak of any recruit we've had over the, since we've done this podcast. I left that podcast. You weren't on that one. I remember calling. No, I wasn't. I watched I was it though. So, That's when I watched. Yeah, I was so I excited listening to it afterward it. or or recording it. Listen. I called you immediately and said, dude, Tari Eason is, is a dude. He's athletic. He's long. He's got the physical profile and athletic tools. Who did they, they compare? Com- they him compared to? him to like Pascal Siakam, Kawhi Leonard, and Tracy McGrady. Those were the Tracy McGrady. That's the one that stuck out. I was like, no way. Which is probably <laughs> the 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 least. Honestly, the Tracy McGrady one is still probably way off base when you look at the skill that all, Tracy McGrady had offensively. That's what, got, that's what got me excited. Yeah, well, but Kawhi, especially when you look at college Kawhi, and when you look at Pascal Siakam, like those are the that's the physical profile, defensive menaces, guys who make their name on defense first. But then they grew and developed offensively, and that's what's TBD with Tari is how much he develops. All this is to say Tari was a unicorn and that most freshmen aren't one-and-dones. Most freshmen aren't ready to go to the NBA after one or two seasons. Jizzle has me quite excited. The growth his senior year of high school looks awesome. He's explosive. His athletic skill set is comparable to Tari in the sense like I don't think he's ever going to be – I think he's always going to be one of the most athletic guys on the court. That's what Jizzle James is always going to be. But it's point guard. Point guard's really you hard. Would, you would expect that, though, considering his dad is a professional athlete. Right. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. But point guard is a really hard position. Point guard, you don't. Yeah. it's rare. When you have a point guard who comes in ready to, to perform at the highest level, you're looking at, like, TJ Ford, a point who was guard our last savant. One? Who, who was the last one that we had that went one and done? A point guard? Yeah. I mean, I can't think of a point guard going one technically, and done. Technically, DJ? I mean, he wasn't a point guard, though. Kenny yeah, Satterfield? I'm, that's what I'm, so maybe one and Kenny, done. I'm trying Kenny to say Satterfield, one and done. Kenny Satterfield, for how good he was his first two seasons, he played two years in the left, and there was a second-round pick in the NBA. Kenny Satterfield was really good. Jizzle James is more athletic than him, but does he have the court presence of Kenny Satterfield? That's a high don't bar. Know. We so don't know yet. <laughs> the point is, don't count on him coming in and being – you know, an instant contributor or instant needle mover in the big 12. That's too much pressure to put on our freshmen. Let our freshmen come in and have the expectations of freshmen. Let's see flashes. 
Let's see them show signs of what they could eventually turn into. That's what you hope to see with guys like Jizzo and Ravon. It's what we saw very clearly with Skillings. It's what we hope to see more of from Reed next season. But and that's when, also one of the flaws when, of this team is we're leaning too heavily on expectations of freshmen. They're freshmen. Look, at some point, we will be able to, I do truly believe this, be able to rely on the expectations of a freshman because Wes is, in fact, going after what are classified as one-and-dones. He is taking those shots. He's not landing them at the moment, but he's taking them. He's going to land one at some point, depending on how long the runway is here. But the freshmen that he's got recruited to us that are committed, those aren't one-and-dones. They're not. So I think you're 100% right. We, we can tamper the expectations down, and if they if they dazzle and, and wow us, then let's enjoy the ride. At the end of the day, I said this before, and I think the last time we recorded solo, what I love about college basketball is that you get guys for four years. Yeah, I, I joke, and maybe I'm serious. I don't really know how I feel about one and dones truly if our program was built like a Kentucky where it's a new cast of characters every year. I do like us having a little bit of that build. But, dude, you throw me a couple one and duns in there to get us to a Final Four, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I don't care. I want the results. But I also like having some of these – I want these good players that we're going to love. That's why we, Steve Logan was not a one and done, right? He's one of the most beloved Bearcats of all time. Not a one and done. He was a recruited guy. He was here. Low recruit. Four year. Low recruit. Low recruit. Kind of an afterthought. Not a, not a ton of expectations, but then his sophomore year, you could already see, like, oh, this guy's really good. Most beloved Bearcat of all time. Some of the most, almost all of the most beloved. Kenyon Martin was not a one and done. Arguably, one of the greatest Bearcats of all time was not a one and done. And on top of that, the greatest Bearcat, Oscar, was not a one and done. Right. No, I mean, I we don't, I don't, I don't really know what else to say about it. These guys are not one and done recruits. We have, we don't have one and done expectations, nor should we. And growth is part of this, but it's the reason that. And this is kind of what I want to get into next. We're going to have plenty of time to talk about next season. And there's a lot of roster shakeout that still has to play out. But we said 45 minutes. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I just want to do a quick, quick check in on what the roster will look like next season, because let's do it. That's where the talk is, is sort of like, who's coming back? Who should we want to come back? Where can we go for additional help? It's, it's all interesting. And it's interesting because of what COVID did to college sports, where, you have this extra bonus year of eligibility. We have multiple guys on this team who have played four years of college sports, be it Odio Guama, Landers Nolly II, um, Jeremiah Davenport, and Micah Adams-Woods. All of those guys could potentially come back for another season. Whether they do is up in the air. Wes Miller has publicly said he wants all of these guys back. Landers Nolly has made it quite clear it's going to require a, a significant payment to get it done. So do we have the NIL capacity and want to pay Landers Nolly what it will take to get him back for our first year in the big 12? Let me lay out kind of what the roster looks like. If all of these guys come back, because honestly, if everyone comes back, we have no roster spots that are open. Okay. So point guard, we would be looking at Mike Adams, Woods, day, day, Thomas and Jizzle James shooting guard. We would be looking at John Newman III and Daniel Skillings. Small forward, you'd be looking at Landers Nolly II, Rayvon Griffith, Josh Reed. Power forward, you'd be looking at Odio Guama, Jeremiah Davenport, Jared Hensley. And then center, you'd be looking at 
Victor Lockin and Sage Tolentino. That would be your roster heading into next year in the Big 12. If every single one of these guys came back, that's the team. First reactions. I don't want to if I'm if I'm Wes Miller and I'm having the conversation of minutes, distribution, role on the team, are you happy with it? The first person I'm probably honestly going to is one of his disciples that I think transferred with him, which is Jared Hensley. Um, he did not have a big role this year. He had limited minutes. Uh, I think his skill set seems to be also limited. Because the reality is, too, we also know that there were significant coaching. Uh, the coaching carousel's already started. Georgetown's roster's up for grabs, for instance. You know, like, I'm just there's a lot of, there's going to be a lot of talent hitting the portal. So however that, that shakes out. I've heard, I am eight, having, I've heard 1800 to 2400 names in the portal. Yeah. It's going to be insane. And we're going to have some guys in there too. And I think it's going to come down to that conversation. And honestly, if Landers Nolly once is looking for the big payment, I don't blame him. I don't know. Does he have the, the NBA? He's not getting drafted in the NBA. Like he's not, he's not on anybody's draft boards. You need to make the money while you're in college. Go do it. Go get yourself paid. Am I willing to, if I were the donor wanting to shell out that NIL for Landers Nolly, I'm probably like, you know what? There's maybe more value to be found personally. Um, so I'm, I'd be, it sounds like, hate. this is where I hate where college sports is going. If I'm talking to these guys about like, if, uh, if I were paying them, who would, who would I not pay? Right. And I'm looking at that. I'm looking at, I am looking at the Jeremiah Davenport. I'm looking at the Mike Adams Woods. This, in, this is, and at this point, I'm also giving. This is where my mindset here is with these two guys, is they are they know I know they're listed as officially juniors because they have the extra year of eligibility, but this would be four years. I don't know if they're graduating this year. If they are, that leaves them with the grad year, so they go to they go to grad school somewhere else and they transfer out to UC to go to grad school. I don't know if that's an option. So I'm just, I'm just talking off the top of my head here. Cause I'm thinking we need, we need at least two. I think we need two transfers to like fill in talent, like get to upgrade. I think, yeah, I honestly, the way we're talking about it does feel different than it has. In it feels past. nasty. It feels so dirty. You're, yeah. Like some would argue you shouldn't even do this. You shouldn't even talk about it this way. But my, my opinion is, this is what it is now, folks. Like this is college sports. It's very, it's becoming semi-professional. You've got payments, you've got NIL, you've got cap space, you've got the ability to, to lure players based on finances. And, and that's essentially based on the conversations I'm having. That's the first question every player asks is how much. Are we, are we still entertaining Sage Tolentino? Well, I'm assuming Sage is yeah. Sage is a project. We knew he would be a project. He's a seven well, that's foot my, project. That's my you can't point. teach size. Do you think there's do you, if there uh, is there an internal mechanism they're using to determine if he's progressing the way they think he should? Right. Is he well, someone that they say you're not gaining weight the way we think you should? You're not progressing the way we think you should. It I really think doesn't you matter. Go look we at a Mac program. He there's so little information we have about Sage Tolentino. It would be unfair to speculate on, on him, in my opinion. To me, you kind of laid out the guys where you can we have enough information to know that these are the guys who would be on the quote unquote chopping block. Chopping we block's the wrong word to use. 
these are the guys who are who are most likely to enter the portal, and it would be Jared Hensley. Look, if I were a GM of an NBA team, and I'm going through my <laughs> roster, and I'm saying, who am I cutting to waivers here? Who am I sending down to the G League? These are the players I'm looking at. Jared Hensley completely fell out of the rotation. Okay, he he fell out of the rotation. He's historically a West Miller guy, and he could not sniff minutes toward the second half of this season. And that reeks of, hey, you're not. We don't have plans for you long term. That's always something that I look at as as a sign that he could be entering the portal. So Jared Hensley is certainly high on the list. And then the rest of them are obvious. All the one-year guys are potentially guys who could enter the portal, which is Mike Adams-Woods, which is um, Mike Adams-Woods, Jeremiah Davenport, and Odio Guama. Because I do think I think if we want Landers Nolly back and, and have the NIL money, we're going to get him back, right? I think that's... I don't really see him playing college basketball elsewhere. I see him more as a potential. Um, if he's playing college basketball, it's going to be for the Bearcats. I look at our roster, and the way I'm going to think about it is not who I want to transfer. It's what I want to see the Bearcats add. And I think two spots would be extremely useful in terms of what we need to add to this team next year. And to me, the glaring weaknesses are size and athleticism, particularly in the front court. When you look at our front court makeup this season, it was Lockin, Tolentino, Oguama, Izikbe, Davenport, and Hensley. Lockin was the best rim protector by far. Everyone else was a defensive liability at their position. Is it weird that we played Sage the way we did? We like he's not a redshirt anymore, right? Potentially we wasted a year of eligibility for like twenty minutes. Eight minutes. It's, poten- it's potentially a disaster. If they don't get a medical redshirt, to me, that's a disaster. So let's 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 make sure we make a mental note on this or like a, a, a podcast note to revisit this if he's still in the squad in three years. And also compare this to what Wes Miller has accomplished from three years from now and say, was this maybe one of the bigger mistakes of of his tenure here of of playing him those eight minutes and not pretend if he doesn't get the red shirt. Yeah, we have to see it shake out. We We don't need to talk. Yeah, we don't need to talk about it that in depth. But let's 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 make sure we note that to discuss (laughs) it later on if it needs to be discussed. Yeah, it's not great. It's it's not great outside looking in. So from from my vantage point, I would be looking. Where do you want size? size? You want so you want size down in the front court. You want want size size in the power forward slash center five someone playing the four five. You, you need a backup five too like i just i think you want you want size and that's why odio guama returning would not be the worst thing because he at least has size and he has the ability to rebound he got better at the end of the season too he had he had a run here down the stretch of solid basketball but he's by no means like he's not going to elevate your team he's not a floor raiser but he is at least a body that you could throw out there and get the job done from a rebounding standpoint um we need more athletic profiles though at the four position. Like you need Jeremiah Davenport slash Jarrett Hensley size, but you need it to be more athletic, more impactful defensively. I think you need, I think you need higher, bigger size than Jeremiah Davenport offers down there. I mean, he's six seven though, is my saying. Like you can have really good six seven players in the power forward position. He plays you small. Need, you need you need, yeah, you, need a, you need a plus five and a half, right? You know. Yeah, you just need someone who's actually <laughs> you, need an NBA, you need an NBA, NBA profile player. Jeremiah Davenport, Jeremiah Davenport basically gives up an open shot every single time a guy makes a move on him. He's one of the worst defensive players I've ever seen. We need someone who's not that. So to me, priority one is adding additional size and 
frankly, if you could do oh, it let's twice. Go, let's go back to this for a second. Jeremiah Davenport on defense is one of two things. He's either the most brilliant defensive man you've ever seen, and he's making the dive out of bounds or whatever. He's, he's doing something amazing, or he's completely and utterly totally useless. There is no middle ground with him on defense. Yeah, he's not good. So, sorry. To sorry, me, that's, to, that's what you need. There. I think to me, I'd be prioritizing size and surrounding lock in with as much of it as possible. And so that kind of, to me, points as Adams Woods as a returner, because I don't think we are looking for guard play as much, even though it does put a lot of pressure on Day Day and Jizzle. Mike Adams Woods would be a third ball handler you have on the roster. You're you're naturally adding athleticism on the perimeter in the form of John Newman the third. John Newman is a very athletic, very rangy, big wingspan, good defender. Adding he, that, he, he adds like three athletic. points to defense. He adds three points to defense, but he's he's a plus on the column for defense too. Exactly, stud so, defender. So more athleticism there. You've got more minutes for Skillings, which is more athleticism, but that requires him to develop. It's very important. If Nolly comes back, you still have that six seven body out there, though he is a bit of a defensive liability. And then you're adding, you've got Rayvon Griffith into the fold and a Josh Reed in the fold. So to me, you've already got the bodies there and the profiles that say we have the guard and wing play that we need. If we can upgrade it, sure, that'd be great. But we are in much more bad. We're we badly need size. We badly need size heading into the Big Twelve. And so to me, that's what I would prioritize. And now it really comes down to how many spots do we have open? Because like I said, we might have zero spots. We also might have three. We also might have four. We just don't know yet. We're going to have at least one. I don't know. I'm not, I'm no sources, just the feeling. And my gut says Jared Hensley will not be on this roster next year. That's just yeah. my gut. I think my gut feeling says, says we have two, two portal spots to fill. That's yeah. That sounds about right. And if I if um, I was going to make my predictions, I would say Adams Woods and Nolly are back on the team, and I'm I'm really not sure about everyone else. That's the thing, man. Everybody keeps thinking that about Jeremiah, but he's a Cincinnati kid. He, he you know, I just I'm just not I'm not sensing him him leaving, and that's what. Actually, strike that. I'm predicting Adams Woods, Nolly, and Oguama are back on the team, and that Hensley. And Davenport would be the portal guys. Oh, it's so tough because I, I'm feeling this is where this is where I love college sports. I am feeling like that. What's the right word here? Um, commitment, not commitment. Um, attachment, loyalty to Jeremiah and Mike Adams Woods because they're both guys who stuck it out through shitty situations. They played four years, man. Like they, they've but been they, four year Bearcats, but they stuck it out through shitty situations. And I appreciate them for doing that. Same thing with with David Julius. You know, everybody's talking about how he stuck it out through his his situations. But we have guys, Jeremiah and both Micah went through terrible, terrible turnover in terms of the John Brandon situation. They also stuck it out. They're a reason why we have at least had some growth in this program, some at least some stability from as what did, what, what, with, what did John Rothstein say? The an all-time low. Right. He did. I, I hear people say, yeah, I would love Davenport back and I would love, love Adams Woods back as long as I know that their minutes are going to be reduced because we're going to have portal guys coming in over the top of them. Folks, if they come back, if everyone comes back, there's no there room are no for other players. Guys. 
there's no portal like this. That's not how this works. We either have the same so, team we have this year, or we have a new team. Right. That's it. These so are you'd hard be swapping. You'd be swapping out to make. David DeJulius, who's really solid, not perfect, can be exploited defensively, doesn't get to the rim like I'd like on on offense. He's his production though, which was paramount for the Bearcats this season is needing to be replaced by Day-Day Thomas, a junior college point guard, and Jizzle James, a freshman point guard. That's not a guarantee that happens. And so if you don't move any of these other guys, if everyone else just returns, this team is probably... It's probably about the same as this year because you are expecting some development from several guys on the team. And John Newman's an improvement. Daniel Skillings is going to improve. Victor Locken's going to improve. So it still could be better, but there is... All, all I'm trying to say, Hummer, is this idea of, yeah, I'd love for them to stay. Just know that they're not going to play as the same roles. If if they don't leave, they're playing the same roles. I agree. And look, we're going to see how this plays out in the next few months because guys are going to hit the portal the minute the season's over. That's how it works. So we have the opportunity on Wednesday to determine how fast we find this out, this information. I'm not going to litigate the or not litigate, but predict, because we don't have to. Bearcats are going to beat Virginia Tech at home. So it happens. Uh, but we'll find Hummer, out. A Hummer prediction. Take it to the bank. Take it to the bank. If you're if you're sports gambling, uh, put all your money on it. I'm going to call Coomer out again. He showed me a parlay, which was already busted before this, but he had Cincinnati and Temple in there, and he took Temple at plus five, and I literally was like, you do realize the Bearcats are going to ruin your day and blow them out. It didn't ruin my day for what it's worth. It was like a $5 parlay, but good to talk to you, sir. There's lots of moving parts that we'll be discussing in the coming months. I think that we're going to have so much time to deep dive this roster. And in terms of how we, how we critique or evaluate Wes's performance and all this, it comes down to what we see, what the roster looks like. And then, one, and then we, down. then we expectation set for next year. Year one down year two down, right? Next year. Show me some results. Year four, show me some, show me the money. Show me the money. Year five, if there's no money. There, <laughs> there's a lot of pressure on this offseason and a lot of pressure on next season. That's, that's I think, Look, that's fair, what, fair statement. That's what happens when, when you come to a program that has big expectations, right? We're not sitting here saying we're going to give you a decade to do something. You are in year two. We're saying by the end of year four, you go into year five, and we're not seeing results. That's half a decade. If we are not back in the tournament, you get honestly, you get two years. Next year, if we don't make it, I'm still saying, all right, you get a shot. Year Look, four, if you we don't, don't make need it, to do the I'm premeditated. The premeditated hot seat talk is so washed. It's not, uh, it that's is, really not fun. Um, we saved it for the end. I'm just saying, like, you're going to see how dark I go over the next two years. Right, but that's a long time. That's a lot of long things time. to happen before then. Because guess what, guys? A new season begins on Wednesday, baby. Preseason NIT. <laughs> <laughs> Go Bearcats. Oh.